queue up. Welcome back to another episode of More Than the Title. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas, Chief yep. Officer at Outside the Box Digital. Yep. And you know I got my brother, my brethren, your favorite CEO's favorite CEO, Chadio. What's good, baby? I'm just happy to be here. You know what I'm saying? Another day, another dollar, another That's dream. It. I'm dreaming, baby. <laughs> shout out to the dreamers. <laughs> Mama made it. <laughs> Before you he's, he's starting. He's ready to part. I love it. He's he's ready to part. Before we yo, go in, before we have an amazing episode as usual lined up for you guys. Quick yep. house cleaning items. First shout out to Podfest for, for having us this week down there in Orlando. Shout out oh, to all man. the people that we that we've met and, and you know broke bread with, man. We had yeah. an opportunity to go on stage with the live panel. We were talking yep. about how to use AI for the grow the podcast. So thank you guys for the opportunity. Shout out to Angel and our distribution partners, yeah. the live podcast network. You want more content from black creators such as more than the title? Yeah. Make sure you download the app. The QR code's right there. Yeah. You know, and pay support to your favorite creators. That's and okay. with that said, hold you know where we go. Oh, hold on. Yeah, we forgot one. We forgot, we forgot one. Oh, I'm, wait, my, my bad. I'm not merching right now, but just in case you guys want to go and cop, you've seen us with the merchandise, the hoodies, the sweatshirts, the coffee mugs, the fitted hats, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Jared, what, what else, whatever mug they're going to have to keep their yak cold for two hours on one ice cube? This is the only cup that'll keep your yak. It do say cold for two hours with one ice cube. You and might it, want something hot. It might keep something hot. And, and, and it keeps my tea hot, too, for like two hours. I ain't going to I, I, I'm, I'm off location today, so I ain't got. I ain't We're got a day time. late. I'm a day late. It, hopefully you ain't a dollar short. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dollar short after buying all that merch. What's up? <laughs> oh, no, there you go. You heard him. Demo, Apple Pay. I'm buying. I buy all. I support everybody's merch. I got a lot of clothes. I got things peeling off. You know, I'm just buying everybody's items because I'm supporting the cause. But when, you, when you do, bro, we're going to get you a hoodie or something with a quote that you're going to say on here that's going to be fire. And right. we're going to make a commemorative, you know, commemorative one of one item. You know what I mean? That's a fact. Oh, I like oh, one of one commemorative. This is yeah, how we got to do this. There's the only, only way we could do it here. But you know what I mean? But that, I, I just want to say before we even get started, yes, sir. I watched the podcast, I listened to it, I've seen people on it that I know. <laughs> and then I was happy to reach out to you and I appreciate you allowing me to come on. So I oh, do want to just open with listener, watcher, appreciate the, the platform. Thank yeah, you, my yeah, yeah. Thank you, my brother. That that was real, man. That was real, man. It's moments like that. <laughs> that's that's why we do it for. <laughs> no, that's real. Oh, no, thank you, my brother. Real shit. We really appreciate you. You know, we're gonna give you your flowers right back, brother, because you know yeah. what this platform is. It's all about celebrating our people, it's about celebrating people like yourself. Yeah. For those at home who's not familiar with this brother, he's yeah. one of today's most innovative and sought out voices in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and also the CEO of Jody AI, and is a celebrated author and three-time TEDx speaker. He's been featured on prominent shows such as CBS Saturday Morning, Time, The Daily Show, The Guardian, The Breakfast Club, Washington Post, and also Ooh. a Forbes.com contributor. He's also a fifth generation leader has worked under 10 different presidential administrations to advance safety, equality, and fair treatment of all Americans. Here we throughout go. his career, uh-oh, throughout his career, he served as the global head of diversity, 
for a major international holding company and top 10 global creative agency. And now he has his first book out, which is a bestseller, which is called Indiv Invisible Generals, Rediscovering Family, Legacy, and Quest to Honor America's First Black Generals. Shout out to Shimon and Schuster. It dropped, it debuted November 20, 2023. Make sure you cop. And let's introduce this brother, Mr. Doug. Listen, your intros are way better than Club Shay Shay. I know everybody's <laughs> giving him shine, but your intros, what I'm saying is elevator up. Thank yes, you, bro. We were talking about the unk. If you see this unk, we was doing it. They was getting on us at first for giving flowers, but you we saw that cat, William. Oh, your unk. Oh, yeah. Club oh, Shay yeah. Shay. Um, we with Club Shay Shay, but. That's our intro first. We had it before you. And we the intro boys we had that before you, too. <laughs> nah. Respect what respect is due. <laughs> no, but, bro, no but brother, I love you know, this. but bro, so man, we really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it real with you, bro. I've been following you on LinkedIn since my first, my beginning on LinkedIn, man. You know, I saw your following. I saw what you was doing and how real you was keeping and talking about problems that we were having in the black community, brother. So I, I, it's an honor to finally meet you, brother. Because like I said, you put on, man, there's only so many voices that really put on the way you do, man. And I appreciate you, man, for coming on the platform, showing us love. And, and we get to get some gems from you, bro. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I, I like the name of your podcast because it is more than a title. You know, I think sometimes we just pigeonhole everybody. Yeah. You know, it was uh, actually uh, Elaine Welteroth. You know, her and I mm -hmm. were talking a few years ago and she said, you know, every time you meet someone, they want you to be one thing. You know, I do this. I, I, you know, I am. But it's like it's so much more than that. But we, um, people of color are historically uh, much wider, but not as deep at certain subjects. Because when you grew up, your family was like, yeah. "Gotta know how to sew. Gotta know how to cook. Gotta know how to clean. Yeah. Be organized. Do your taxes. You know, like you had to do a hundred things." Yeah. But as you climb up in the corporate world, the the verticals get narrower. Yeah. So you're rewarded for being two miles deep, but one inch narrow because corporations today are set up very narrow, but in traditional skill sets for people of color in America traditionally are much wider. So mm -hmm. sometimes when you get into these roles, you're put into the role, which is narrow yeah. But in reality, you're so much more than a title because your skill set is much wider. So that's why your title really resonated with me. Message! You got the double message. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, quick housekeeping. He gave you that for free because he wasn't supposed to give you that before we said. Let's start the show. Got that part, yeah. but that was real. That was a ball yes. before the ball. That, that ball, that was the ball before the ball. You know what I'm saying? But let him know that the, the show is officially started. And with that, um, that was a gem. message. He he goes into first period. First period, man. But I, I, I'll, period. I'll tell you right now, Doug. The reason why yeah. we came up with that, man, because I was in corporate for 11 years, brother. I'm gonna be real with you, man. My career took off when I started doing the hat and the hoodie. When I stopped putting on the phone voice, when I stopped trying to be somebody else that I wasn't and taking those learnings and really upskilling and upscaling my level. But the problem was, as a salesperson, you're not really in them C-suite conversations. Really, we should be the first one being talked to because we're on the front of the, we're the ones talking to the customer. Mm -hmm. So our value and what we're seeing and how we're interacting with them is some of the valuable, most valuable insights within the whole organization. And I used to just hate that. 
You know what I mean? So I'm like, man, I can actually sit up there with the CMO. I could interview the CMO. I could have somebody on the board on the show. And guess what? I want to know who you are because I don't care about your title. You could be an asshole. And if you are, your title doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, uh, I worked with a lot of different people in my career, but one of the people that was most influential to really having me understand how to be uh, executive of color was when I worked with Irvin Magic Johnson. And um, I had my own marketing company that I had started essentially in my parents' bedroom. You know, like when you start out and you're just, you know, on the hustle and everything. And I was working to help entertainers and people of note create their passion projects. So Mm. their side hustles, how could you leverage their brand and make perfumes and clothing and things of that nature? And I get uh, contacted. Uh, One I used to do to find business was I would write business plans blindly to different people and just mail them to them. And I ended up writing a plan uh, to Magic Johnson's office. I didn't know him. I had never met him. And I got the standard letter in the mail that said, don't start mailing things unsolicited. You know, think you're cute and all this stuff, right? Standard form, whatever. Months later go by and someone from his office contacts me and I get invited to New York City. And when I go to the meeting and show up, um, an executive was coming was like, Doug, you know, Mr. Johnson's here to see you today. And I was like, okay. And they're like, Irvin Magic Johnson, Doug. I was like, what? Magic Johnson? And I go up and we interview and he ends up hiring me. Uh, first to be the president of his marketing company, and then I joined his executive team in Beverly Hills. Well, oh, we got we got to give you. Come on, that doesn't. You get two horns for that, man. Like, come on, Doug. That that's Shit. off a cold, a cold, a cold business plan. I swear to you, and and he, I ended up finding out that the way I wrote business plans was I used to have this formula that I used to do napkin to two million. So if you had an idea, mm. I would be able to say, okay, this is the market. This is the rate, blah, 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 and get it to a $2 million back of the napkin. But people loved it. It was almost like a party yeah. trick. But people were like, no, that shit's good. We got to write that down. So anyway, I come to L.A., and in my first meeting, I have a book bag over my suit shoulder. And he pulls me aside and goes, Doug, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, well, I, you know, because I was working in different rooms. And he was like, Doug, you are an executive of color. You have to live like a president, act like a president, roll like a president. But you also have to be fluid. Hmm. As in, he owned the Lakers, okay? And he was a broadcaster for the games. Hmm. And he was a partner with some of the NBA league partners. And he was like, Doug, you have to be able to cross all the different verticals well so you could be an all-around executive because I may have to give a presentation or sign autographs or I may need to broadcast the game and we may win the championship and I got to go get my hat. So Mm. he showed me that if you are to be a great executive of color in particular was what he stressed me, you have to be able to move in all the rooms because the expectation of our delivery is different than other executives who may have that opportunity. So I learned how to do that, which is why I'm okay in those rooms. But I was taught by someone who was adamant about ensuring 
that I knew and teaching me like a PhD on how to get to the next level. And those are the things that we need to do more because sometimes you are asked to do different things in different paths. And if you don't have someone who's literally saying, listen, we need you to do it just like this. Yeah. And you don't learn how to do it. That's real. Beat me to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was real. You know, but it's crazy. You said John said that last week, said the same exact thing. Yeah. John, we had a guest on John Graham and he said 80% of black Americans don't even know the, the, the universal language, right? We don't know the language. He said 20% is reserved for the power dominant. Right. And he said that when they speak, Power doesn't speak. They imply, and it's up to you as the listener to figure out what it is. So if you're not taught it, you're not put up on game, people are going to see you from a mile away, and they're going to say you need polish. You need executive coaching. You need this, that, and the third, right? And you were able to get that from Magic Johnson. He changed my whole life. My presentation skills, you know, I had my first meeting that I ever had with him in my whole career Crazy was with uh, a major car company, and we we flew to the meeting on the private jet, and it was my first time really, you know, idea aiding a meeting with the whole team that was going to present. And I was going up there to lead the meeting and I got up there and I just, I just tanked, you know, I just I bombed, you know, and I remember after the meeting, everybody left and he sat me in a room was like, Doug, he, and he said to his business partner, should we fire Doug? Should we let him go? That was so embarrassing. You know how long it takes to get these meetings. Wow. Everybody has a job to do blah, blah, blah. And that was when he said, you have to level it up, practice everything. You have to be the smartest one in the room. You have to know everything about everything, you know, because I was going in there just trying to know the subject. Yeah, yeah. When you're me and you roll with me, you have to know everything about everything because people can ask you about health. They can ask you about hoops. They can ask you about ownership. They can ask you about Starbucks. They can ask you about 24-hour fitness. Like, you don't – you have to know – everything about everything and deliver it in a way that's believable because you are the smartest person in the room because you're a subject matter expert. And that was not how I was moving. I was patching in the information as I needed it, but Mm. that rewired my whole existence as an executive and trained me to do all the things I do now. Because if you don't have that person who's literally walking you there and also the time and mm. also the team. Yeah, yeah. So like it, this is why it's so hard to move up because you really have to have factors that are in your control, but in addition to oh. factors that are not in your control. That's a message. <laughs> a, a subtle memes, message. Memes are real. <laughs> who's, who's controlling the memes? Which we, one? we both do. Oh, okay. that's how you got the double message. <laughs> you know, um, we talk about support systems on this show a lot, and we're going to continue to talk about support systems because it is essential to have support systems in place to help you prosper and win, right? Um, I think it's a famous saying that people say, like, the most talented person doesn't win. It's the person with the most support wins, right? You could be the biggest talent in the world with no support system, and now your job is 100 times harder. I could be half as talented as you, but have all the right places and all the right all the right pieces and all the right places, and everything's moving and, and skyrocket past you. You know what I mean? And once you get to a certain level of success or notoriety, then everything kind of is on autopilot, right? 
You were at the point when you walked in the room where you were new to it. You were inexperienced at it, right? So nobody didn't know you. They didn't expect a certain thing. So when you went in there, they're like, okay, let's let's put Doug to the test. But once you become seasoned and they know when Doug step in the room, Doug is no joke. Doug knows his shit. He gonna, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then it's a different point. When you step in the room, a lot of shit just becomes a lot easier for you because they already know you have a track record of, of performing a certain way. And it's just yeah. cutting a copy repeat after that. You know what I mean? Message. You know, I'm going to ask you, Doc, now that you told us that you bombed the first meeting, do you yeah. mind telling us what was one of the biggest wins you had in that scenario? Or in that role? Like, what is one negotiation that you're really proud of? Well, the thing about that whole experience is that it made me re... Uh, it made me understand who I... You know, what position I was in. You know, sometimes yeah. life moves fast. You don't really know, you know, kind of where you are. And it's not to be right. cavalier about it. It's just to say you get this opportunity. You're like, oh, my God, I got to focus on this so narrow and it really helped me understand yeah. an executive global mentality you know because i was like still almost clawing and fighting for every rebound when actually you have to you know widen your horizon um you know ebony williams once told me the narrower you are the wider your reach and that's what i was talking about the silos when you look at companies today mm. and experts if you only know the solar system because you're Neil deGrasse Tyson, everybody says solar system, Neil deGrasse Tyson, what's going on? If you want to know law, Ebony Williams, what's going on? This is what I'm saying is that I was living that. But when you're a CEO, a president or an executive, you're not talent. You actually are much better off being very wide in knowing how to be uh, a CEO. So this is the difference between the boardroom mm. and broadcasting. The, uh, the asks are actually the opposite. So when you try to do both at the same time, most people aren't successful because they get stuck in the messy middle. Message. Beat me mm. too. <laughs> no, I, I got the panel up. <laughs> I felt like this was going to be one of them yeah. ones. <laughs> so, so that's what I'm saying. It's like you, you right now are trying to do are doing broadcast, but maybe you're also an executive. And but the 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 secret that I learned after that meeting yeah. was you can do both well, but you have to put in the work to do both well. Because you're not through the 10,000 hours of broadcasting going to get better at the executive duties and vice versa. And that's the thing. Even when you see um, Otani, the baseball player that plays both positions, they say most kids, when they're doing good in sports, their parents take them out of all the other sports and just say, listen, Focus. third base is what you're going to do. But people that grow up international ball players, you know, they always say about the international NBA versus domestic the skill sets are different because, you know, here we teach people one thing and over there they have to know the all around game and then, you know, that whole thing. So we just have to balance what we want to do in this life because doing both well is really hard unless you put in the work. So that was my learning from the meeting. So it was actually a happy accident yeah. because it tightened me up to understand, oh, there's a real responsibility here. Yeah. Then what you learn is once you don't work there, that you know you there may not be another executive not not to the story i was just telling about Irvin mm -hmm. magic johnson but when you work at a corporation and maybe you leave your job or somebody leaves you know you have to realize that there may not be another 
person that comes in and has that same role or yeah. another person with a similar background. So you are a doer, but you also have to be the chief inspiration officer for those behind you. Yeah. And, you know, that makes right. sense. That, that makes that makes perfect sense coming from you saying you getting tutelage from Magic Johnson because if you looked at Magic Johnson, he's one of the only players that say I can successfully play every single position on the court and play it well. So he's an actual prime example of exactly what you said because he can play from guard all the way to center. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So for you to say that makes perfect sense that he would teach you something like that because he's lived that himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I and I believe that being multiverse. And uh, multifaceted and a lot of things makes you a, wor a worldly person. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, I think the problem that we run into more often than not is we get so much backlash when you present the talent, right? Okay, I want to be good at this or I want to be good at that. We get so much backlash that when you finally get the opportunity to do one thing, you kind of hold on to it so tight mm -hmm. that you don't want to learn anything else because you want to prove that I finally got the opportunity to do this one thing. Let me show that I can do this uh, the best. But the world will show you that the more you know, the more you can actually grow, right? Because let's say you leave that opportunity as, as a C-suite individual. Now, you know every, every aspect of working each one of those C-suite uh, positions all the way down. Now you can say instead of working for somebody else, now I can go into business for myself because I know I know all of the positions. I know how to do everything. You understand what I'm saying? So that puts you in a, in a better position to become an entrepreneur and run your own company because now you know what each position takes. When you're hiring people, they can't bullshit you. I know what your job does. I know well, how to do that. That is exactly right. And you know, when I left, um, I worked with him for three years. And uh, it was uh, the end of my term. It was the end of the calendar year. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had had a uh, meeting recently. And this is a story. I don't really tell the story, but it's really one of my favorite stories. Hold on. Story. We got to get the bell. We got to get the bell. This is one story. And I don't really tell it because it's, you know, a little off the beaten path. But I leave the company and I we have a meeting up at Google. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the meeting, we meet Larry Page and Sergey Brin and everything. And they were like, we want to bring you to, you know, show us your new products and everything. They bring us in this room. And after we walk out of the room, I said, hey, can I ask you a, a question? I said, if you had one piece of advice for an entrepreneur that was looking to start his own company or anything like that, what would it be? And he puts his arm around me and goes, young man, let me tell you something. The first thing you should do is you should go to google.com slash labs. And when he says this, I'm thinking the guy's trolling me. We're at Google headquarters. You created it. Of course, you're going to send me to Google. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking like this guy's just blowing me off. He's telling me like a yeah. one-liner. You know what I'm saying? But I finished hearing him out because I don't know what he's going to say. And I'm really this attentive to it. And he goes, if you what you should do is go to google.com slash labs. It's since changed, but this is what he told me, and it worked. He goes, I want you to look at all of the categories that we sell advertising in, and I want you to find the category that you're most attracted to, which was entertainment. And he goes, I want you to look at the top searched words in that category that aren't trademarked because you could go on Google and see what's this month. The number one searched word in 
entertainment that's not trademarked was red carpets. And he goes, what you should do is buy the domain and create a business in reverse. So if you know that's the number one search word, you know everybody's going to search for it. So buy redcarpets.com and start a business backwards, and then you'll always have money coming in for the rest of your life because everyone will eventually find it due to natural search, which will pick it up in one to three years. That was crazy. So I leave that night. I go back to my uh, home apartment and I go on and I find redcarpers.com. I pay $4,400 for the domain. I call my best friend, Bill, and go, Bill, listen, everything I just told you, he goes, well, what are we going to sell? And I was like, oh, we could do stock photos. We could do lighting. We could, you know, we're like going through all these things. We're like, why don't we sell red carpet? I was about to say, shit, red rugs, red carpets, red. And then I was like, then we could sell all the color carpets for all the events in the United States. And then everyone will type in red carpets and then they'll go to redcarpets.com. And then we could make them in any size. We could make the circles for the TED Talks. We could do the this, we could do the that. Then we could sell backdrops with your logo on it. And then we could sell velvet ropes. So we'll only sell three things. I want to tell you guys that we committed ourselves to this redcarpets.com. Three years went by. We did not sell one red carpet. Oh, my God. Hated it. I spent my whole life savings. My 401k. Hold on, wait, wait. You need another one. You just you just reminded me too. We gotta pay some bills. We'll be right back. <laughs> so if you want to get your merch, this is how you do it. We, we might, got more we than the last two years. Mugs. We got hoodies. We might not beat it. We got three. February's fucking schedule. We might not make it to the end of unless you buy your mugs, your cups, your hats. We got five, four, three. We gotta two, show them all. We might one. not make it. <laughs> yeah, back to the show, y'all. My bad, Doug, because you just reminded me. No, no, this was real. So I'm eating 99 cent pizza, cutting it in half. I'm going to Chipotle every day, getting a burrito bowl so I can have two meals out of it. We are literally. I'm telling you, this was like a great idea, but you get so far in the idea. There's no way through it but to do it. You know, like the only way out of it is to be successful. So he was, you know, we were living in the city. We had a studio. We're like sleeping on the floor with two arrow matches. Like this was really good. You said I, three years, I don't even know if it's years, though, three, three, bottom, three, but it was we're talking three full calendar three years. Three full calendar years. Yeah. In theory, that's fucking brilliant. In theory, in theory, it's brilliant. But not even so, one rug, not even one. We didn't sell a rug. We were not sending them out cousin? for free. Your Nobody really cousin? wanted them. Your and uncle Harold, nobody. And then something happened. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We get a call from a friend of a friend's wife's friend. Like this was the frailest connection that I ever had. And a friend of a friend of the wife's friend goes, Doug, my friend is the head of marketing for Clarence Cosmetics and they are having trouble in the malls 
getting people to try on the makeup because that's the first part of mm -hmm. kind of the consumer customer facing uh, clienteling. So we would like to buy $3.1 million right. and backdrops and velvet ropes to put all over the United States and all international in all of our retail locations. But this is the thing. You have to build like some custom ones and do this and do that. You have to pitch it, come in, set it up, break it down, like the whole thing. And we didn't have any money. <laughs> Yo. You got to listen to him. You learn something. Other thing, because this is real. You're going into the shit tonight. You got to listen to that guy. That's what? crazy. So I go to bank a mom and dad, and I'm like, guys, listen, we have to get a little bit of money to go in and do the demo. But if we do yeah. the demo, game over. We actually have to get the money to get the stuff because we, you know, this wasn't, it wow. just wasn't happening. Yeah. So they put in the first order 300,000 and the next order was 1.3 million, blah, blah, blah. And I went to my parents and my dad, ride or die, was like, you came this far. Like him and my mom still together, married 50 years, you know, the civil war of what do we do with our retirement? And, and my dad's like, you came this far? We have to support him. And my mom's like, we're gonna lose everything. <laughs> pay him. What if it doesn't work? What? So, yeah. nevertheless, they give me the money, or I borrow the money. Bank a mom and dad. I deliver the items. The next thing you know, one of the free ones that we had sent out went to um, Albie Manzo, who was on a show called Real Housewives of New Jersey. He red carpets his apartment. The woman I'm dating at that time goes on The Bachelor after we separated, and she was the spokesman from the website. So on ABC, they said employed redcarbers.com. Albie Manzo season premiere, Red Carbers' apartment, redcarbers.com. We're sponsoring it. And then the Clarence Cosmetics, the Wait. next thing you know, orders are coming in just like they said that we're going to come in. Crazy. And just like we thought all along, but this is what I'm saying: three years. Wow, that's yeah. a level of commitment. More ninety-nine oh. pizza. Hold on, hold on. That's that, sacrifice. That's, that's third period. We what are we calling that commitment? <laughs> this class and is sacrifice and God. Oh my God! And this was after the executive leadership. This was this after. after working for Irvin Magic Johnson. Oh my Flying around God. on Gulf streams. You know, in the Lakers box, foot on the floor. I mean, I am living like everything you believe it is and more. Crazy. Wow. And here I am going from that to pizza three years on the floor. Look at that, man. Bet on yourself. You dot, you know, you know the come know on, man. That's the tagline. Bet on yourself. Yeah. Talk man. about that's, a story, man. Oh my God. That's the fucking universe. That's just, a hell of a story. Man, that's a fact, bro. That's the universe just coming in like you've waited long enough. Movie voice, like in a world <laughs> months, eating ramen noodles. You know <laughs> I was just on a plane with magic. <laughs> you yo, oh man, what was the what was at half court? <laughs> like, what was that? What was the toughest uh, moment you remember? And that during that time frame, when you, you're, you're hustling, crazy. you're grinding. 
what was one of the toughest moments where you almost quit that, that you remember that you just like, no, I'm going to persevere and go through it. Can you give us one? Because I think it's super important for people to know some of the shit you have to sacrifice and persevere through to become who you are today. There was actually no way out except to be successful. That was what mm. I actually learned. Like sometimes you're so far down the road, the only way that you could get through it is to win. You know, and I mean, you know, it's business or life or grief or opportunity or whatever. But I was so far oh, down man. the road. I had spent every credit card, all the 401k, changing, the, you know, all the bonds from your, your goddad. You know, like, I mean, there was nowhere, there was, there was no way that I could actually get out of the debt unless the idea worked. And then it took years, you know. Uh, like the big order, but then that was over a period of time. Yeah. But then that paid off the company. Right. And then we were able to get a publicist and, you know, do what we needed to do. And then we get a call from the wall street journal and the Oscars reached out to us because they thought we were cheapening the red carpet by making it accessible to everybody. And they tried to file a claim that they own the trademark to red carpet. And once that happened, the Wall Street Journal wrote a front page story called The Man Reinventing the Red Carpet. And that actually transitioned my journey into advertising and to be a diversity officer because they read the headline on the newspaper. So this is like a this is actually like a cool like transition point. So here I am selling the red carpets, traveling around the world. I get invited to the, I'm in LA and I get invited to a premiere screening of the movie Red Tails because that's the movie where Ben Davis, who's the center of our family, was the creator and the commander of the Red Tails. So George Lucas is doing this movie and they invite me to the screening on behalf of the family. So I fly in, I go to the screening. And the name, uh, Terrence Howard, who's the main character in the movie, he was playing Ben Davis, who was the center of our family. That's why I was there. And then we come to realize that the name had been changed. And that made me very upset. And I went to ask my dad. And my dad said, what are you going to do about it? Right. He didn't say, oh, woe is me. You know, don't complain. He said, okay, you saw a movie. <laughs> really not a big deal because I'm going to tell you the real family story and you'll think not being mentioned in a movie is a joke because, you know, if you talk to people who are oppressed, not being in a movie is like, uh, it's not real. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't even register as well. It wasn't even on our radar. Like, who cares? He's like, Doug, they made an HBO okay. movie called Tuskegee Airmen. How many movies do you want this guy to be in? Nobody cares. Right. But I was like, dad, this is, um, you know, a disgrace, you know, blah, blah. Cause you know, we grew up and the movie was real. I yeah. mean, not really, but people still looking for Batman. I mean, people are still looking for Wakanda forever. You know, I mean, the movies are so real. You think that they're a fact. So yeah. when the name was removed, my dad goes, what are you going to do about it? And I said, there's going to be two things I'm going to do about it. Number one is I'm going to research my family story to find out the real story and see what was hidden and what wasn't. Number mm. one. And number two is I want to switch my career to ensure that anyone that was made invisible is now visible. And I want to help companies do that. Now, when I left Magic Johnson, 
he told me, Doug, mm. you should think about being a diversity executive because at the time when you looked at where he was making most of his revenue, and then when I look back at all the other individuals I work with who I was helping create their passion projects, women, immigrants, first generation, people of color are over-indexing on all these products. So I essentially became a specialist going mm. back to the narrow focus in the corporation versus the wide focus, right? Mm. I became a specialist in market audiences and niche audiences that were diverse in nature. So I get a phone call from an ad agency called TBWA who brought me on and their CFO brought me to lunch and goes, we're looking at this role of diversity officer. Is this something that you would consider? And I said, uh, is that a full-time job? I never heard of that as a real job. Yeah. About right. the year 2012, yeah, facts. there was less than a hundred diversity officers in the whole United States. Now it's everywhere, but there's less than a hundred. And he goes, it's a leap of faith between both of us. We don't know exactly what we want the role to do. You don't exactly know what the role is, but what we do know is we need to look at diversity in a way that's positive and as a growth and an opportunity for us to be better, be stronger, you know, all those things. Yeah. So I say yes to the job and I become a, you know, global executive for an ad agency on Madison Ave. We're one of the last ad agencies physically on the street. Yeah. And on the first day they go, Doug, this is what we're going to do. We only deal with clients here. That's our whole business. So what if we looked at diversity as if it was a client? So if mm. diversity called the ad agency and said, market me, rebrand me, reposition me, write my copy, make my commercial, what would we actually do? So on my first day, they get 33 executives into a room and we look at diversity as if it was a client. And what came out of that meeting was uh, a few things, but number one is diversity actually is a domestic emerging market. It's just positioned in the negative, but actually diversity is the biggest opportunity for growth of any for-profit company in the United States of America. Message. Talk about it. <laughs> it's not looked at it that way. The next thing is you have to break it up in different categories. One third of it is commercial, your messages, your marketing, visual interpretation of your spokespeople, et cetera. One third of it is your employee base. How do you hire? Who do you recruit? Is men and women, are men and women paid equally? Yeah. Do you have equal opportunity? All those things like that. Who's on the executive team? And the third part is the supply chain. Do we hire diverse owned businesses, women owned businesses? Ultimately we added a fourth, which was community involvement. But in the, in this particular research period that we were going through community was added a bit later so we broke up these three areas and we created a pathway to work with our clients to educate them that diversity was a domestic emerging market it was an opportunity for growth get new clients educate people and people were tracking with it in a positive way okay 2012 happened and let me just kind of go through the diversity timeline for you okay how much you 2012 happened um, which is when I joined, then we had Oscar. So white companies were nervous because it's almost chapters in diversity in America. Right. Okay. So we had Oscar. So white, then we had equal, um, same sex marriage. Yeah. So first it was 
are we awarding people that are diverse? And it was like, oh, same-sex marriage. That was something that we all had to kind of educate our, ourselves on. Then it was like, okay, what's up next? Okay, me too. Then it was like, okay, me too. Then it was like unconscious bias. Everybody has to know about that. Then it was stop Asian hate. Then we all had to know about that. Then it was George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. Then we had to know about that. Then it was COVID. Okay, empathy, health. You know, health went work from home, mm. but then it gets touchy because then in 2016 it became politics, mm. and when the political, um, I, I look at diversity like if your brain is an iPhone, right? Mm. You have the iPhone, you know, 15. I have 14. What have you? It's a patch update. Now, when you tell people about diversity, equity, and inclusion, some people's hard drive can't update the software. No. So you're, you're trying to talk to somebody, but it's not you. The software cannot load in the hardware because the hardware is dated. They just don't get it. So man, just can't get right, boss. <laughs> can't get right. And this is where people are trying to be like, oh, man, this guy doesn't understand. It's like, guys, no, no, it's not yeah. the software. It's the hardware. It, it's right. not going to work for everybody. Wait, my fault, my fault, my fault. I got to give you one. I'm sorry because we didn't give you one all day. <laughs> There's no way you're going to give it to me, bro. Oh, man. No way. Oh, the, tone, the tone was crazy. No way, bro. He did, was... he did narrow and did this 20 times. He did wide and did this. And we let that shit rock a hundred times. And you hit him for that. No, but I'm, I'm just, you know, but it's very important because the thing is diversity is now being like in a way under attack Absolutely. because once it entered politics, boom, now politics came into the office. Yeah. Now it's MAGA, easy slogan, red, blue, you know, everything kind of, you know, came into the office and then now it became complicated then they add supreme court then they add you know religion with wow. uh the hamas situation so what happened was diversity was growing in a way that was a domestic emerging market and an opportunity the wider you are the better ideas are crafted in the meeting and you get a tighter narrative now it's focus on your core audience don't be everything to everybody that's mm -hmm. not our market because once you start adding politics religion health and wellness things like that mental health that's it real. gets challenging for corporations to navigate the line which is a hundred percent subjective of which side do you go on so your companies have been more hesitant in the last few years to speak out publicly because there's people from both sides in the room listening that are looking for errors, yeah. got you moments, cancel people. And that's really caused a challenge because most many of these diverse executives that came up had an opportunity to get promoted during Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, social justice. That's a fact but they were moved to roles within DEI. That's so it. Now that those roles are still there, but the voice may not be a vote anymore. These individuals have been sidelined. 
and companies are going back to their core and you're seeing the systematic dismantling of donations, social justice programs and things like this. So the subject became what, which was once full of joy and opportunity where people were like, Doug, we want to get you in the creative meeting. Doug, what's your opinion on this? Ended up going to, you know what? Let's just not put any black legs or arms in the ad because we don't want this to be about diversity. So you, you could see how it shifted. Yeah. And you know the narrative now. Is DEI dead? All of that stuff. I'm going to be honest with you. I the, My problem with diversity as far as how, how it's marketed to us in a, in a company, right? One, like for instance, I'll give you an example. I've been on ERG teams, right? So it took me about eight, nine years of my career to get to an ERG team. And for those who listen, that's an employee resource, a resource group, right? So if you be in a corporation, it'd be like, hey, uh, black people at this tech company, right? You have 100 employees. We do shit together, yada, yada. We have a budget, all of that shit. You have a appointed running like a business. I was with a big tech firm. Our budget was $10,000. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then you have to get it approved by the, who you think we got to get it approved by? <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? And it's like, what, like, what are we really doing here? And it was really no better time for us to be black in the industry but George Floyd. We got sponsorships. We got this. People posting us. LinkedIn fucking th throwing us out there, giving us more visibility. The whole nine, right? Soon as that died down, we see what our true colors. But can we honestly say that we, we didn't think that would happen? And that's what my beef is. Like, what do we, what change have you really seen happen? And we asked Dr. Janice this when she came on. And I would love to hear your answer, brother. Like, what's one of the biggest changes you've seen for black people in corporate since like diversity became a thing in 2012? Well, I think the biggest opportunity, I think the biggest challenge um, is, is this. Um, people that are typically given the opportunity, first of all, the opportunity is earned, but it's, it's perceived that it was given. So I don't Absolutely. even like to say I got, I was given an opportunity. I earned the opportunity. Absolutely. You know, going on vacation, I go, you earn the vacation, you know, like I do like to use the importance of language. Absolutely. But the thing is people celebrate this newfound opportunity instead of working twice as hard. This is the trick play with success. Hmm. When you get the thing, that's actually when the job starts if you're focused. But when most people get the thing, they party, they celebrate, they take their foot off the gas. And what happened in this situation is because the jobs that were given were subjective in nature, there's certain legal risks that are around diversity that you can't necessarily have targets. You can't write everything down. So you're in a position where you're in a C-suite, you have a voice, but your voice is not a vote. Nah. So these memes, I'm just telling you, I'm, real. I'm laughing at the memes. It's real, it's real, man. Shit. But, but um, I can tell you what I think was... Um, Issa Rae just came out the other day. I think yep. selfishly one of the biggest things that happened because of, of George Floyd's social justice was uh, the arts became much more inclusive. Now, okay, corporations did as well, but like we said, they may not stand for the long haul, but I believe yeah. that 
that was very important. But I think in the yeah. arts, the television shows, you know, I pitched my book deal during that time and I got picked up when only 6% of all authors on the big five publishing are authors of color. Mm. So if you think about 40% of the United States are individuals, non-European descent, ethnic minorities, as you describe them, 6% of every book made by the top five publishers is signed to an ethnic minority. Mm. So the stories don't necessarily get out, but this also is with the networks. I think all the podcasting, that has grown has allowed so many more diverse voices to have a table and, and not work at your table but have a table you two said we're going to make our own table absolutely and during this time it gave people a chance to think to write a lot of creative so i think the arts for me is the biggest systematic change in the united states that happened from everything that happened after george floyd i think corporations You'll see where the ebb and flow goes in the next, you know, upcoming years. But I think the arts is a tangible, real, inspirational uh, moment. And I think also looking at the Super Bowl halftime show yeah. that happened after George Floyd, you have Rock Nation and Jay Z in charge of it. Yeah, you know, this is. I know people are like, yeah, but who else are they gonna pick? But it's like it was not this Usher. Snoop Dogg. I'm just yeah. saying these. My are prediction. Still, my prediction. Taylor Swift is going to be on there next year. That's my prediction. You know that one trillion percent, and she's going to get signed to Rock Nation. I don't know you know that. She'll be on it when 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 Kansas City loses to the Niners, and she's going to be there getting That's her hundred million like this, doing whatever I'm fucking song. <laughs> when KC lose, when KC loses to the Niners, Niner Nation, ain't going to be no need to bring on. She's going to be a sad puppy. <laughs> or the NFL could go bigger and do an after concert. So, like, you have the halftime show, but what if there's a post-game show where then now after the game, you know. You saw her brand value? They said three. she brought $331 million to the chief organization over the course of the season. No, yeah, I didn't of see course, that. You know, just a 330, $331 presence is going to, you know, she's a soup. She's a mega star. So just her presence is going to do it. Um, I wanted to say, I wanted to, I know you were talking, um, Doug, but I, I got to backtrack Man. for a moment because you said something that was, I felt like was super, super important. Three years, right? I, I have to go back to this mm -hmm. because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there and they need to actually hear this from you. Right. So in the three year span that you had your website up and running you did not have a brick and mortar store correct this is all online right 100 and you just explained to the entrepreneurs what you did um month after month when you were seeing no sales come in to kind of progress your website or things you were doing to try to get you more business like give them a little bit of insight of what you were doing because obviously you didn't have the website just sitting there for three years right so can you, okay. you know, people, people hit these, these rock bottoms, you know what I mean? So they need to hear some creative ideas of when they hit rock bottom, what are some of the creative things they can do to try to get them out of that and to get some sales possibly coming in? Cause I don't want to skip that. That's a very important um topic. You know what I mean? You know, I just want to say that if you ask me any story that shaped me more in life, you know, I have so many different experiences I've been so blessed the three years with no sales, I'm telling you, I never talk about it. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Right. No one ever asked me. They want to talk about, you know, all the other things. The but wins. 
three years with no sales. I tell people, this is the moral of the story. Because if I don't do that, it just doesn't, you know, going from private jets to 99 cent pizza, I dare somebody to do it. Because there's no one I know that would even have the lack of ego to even pull it off. You know, living in the hills of LA, I had a SL transformer remote control drop top. You know, I had my 30th birthday party. Which you had the old 550, the old 500. I have my 30th birthday party at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> oh, like I'm telling oh, you, you, I had your you had your old 500 SL 500. I, I had all, I had it, I had it. <laughs> oh, I was man. really living that life. Yeah. And to say I would like to work for myself, yeah, because my mentor t- showed me and taught me how to be an overall successful person and i got an insight from someone who invented the software you know so these are the things that when you're an entrepreneur you're like oh my god i'm here for a reason this is like you know yeah god's plan or um you know this is perfect the the challenge of that is Can you go and before I started my company, if you talk to other entrepreneurs or or successful ones, they'll say, can you go a thousand days with no pay? Mm. That was my first question I had to ask myself. Can I go a thousand days with no pay? And that was the day that I actually had in mind. Can I go a thousand days? So when the when the thing wasn't selling, I mean, I was very disappointed, but. We didn't know if it was a real category. We didn't know where to get the carpet. We didn't know how to cut it. We didn't know where to, you know, source it. Like, so what we were doing on our website is I actually had a friend of mine. It's funny you say this. The first thing we did is we partnered with a website company because the website I made looked like Tinker Talk. Not TikTok. It looked like Tinker Talk. Like this thing was bad. Because I don't develop, you know, I, I was really just the idea guy and my business partner, Bill, was just the operations guy. Yeah. So I paid a website company to partner with us. They took a percentage of the sales for the first couple of years in exchange for the website. The second thing I did was I had a friend um, that worked at uh, Mattel and she showed me the new Barbie and Hot Wheels website where you could make your own, uh, design your own Barbie and Hot Wheels on the screen. So I went up one night and I searched through all the code on the internet to see if I could reverse find the guy that made the code. Mm. He could allow us basically a bot that would allow you to lay out your step and repeat backdrop with your logos. And I ended up finding the guy, he was in Paris. And I said, would you be willing to build off that code that you made for them he was a designer. He had his own coding company. He's like, well, I don't know, you know, this and that. And, um, it ended up, you know, helping us. It ultimately didn't help the sales, but when you're asking me what I was doing, it was like, we need to change the sizes. Do we need to do this? Like we, do we need to get a publicist? What's our biggest problem? And the biggest problem was most of the traffic to our website through the natural search was for photos of celebrities on the red carpet. Mm. Started taking out Google AdWords. The biggest learning of the whole experience was 
negative ad negative keywords on Google AdWords. Mm. Mm. Because if you're searching red carpet and you don't put buy, walk on, not Taylor Swift on. And then we had to set up a whole thousands of ads. Yeah. Negative keywords to get the right people. Because when we started the company, the cost per click for red carpet was like 62 cents. And then when we when I ended up leaving the company in 2012, four years later, to to join the ad agency, the cost to click was almost five dollars. Now the cost to click is sometimes twelve dollars. Yeah. So so for, for anybody who doesn't know, just for people who may not know, cost per click, y'all, is when you click on the ad, right? So they get charged twelve dollars every time a user clicks on that ad. They go to the website, don't buy, nothing happens. They are still charged that price. So just want to make sure everybody, so that's why it's costly like a mug. <laughs> so these are the things that we were really learning. And those are the things, and I'm happy to say red carpets.com turned 15 years old this year. And uh, right. there you go. You got it. You got it. Yes, sir. Oh, you home, years old. And, um, and my, and my, uh, my business partner, Bill, who uh, create, you know, really ran it for nine years when I left and everything. This guy is, you know, but he became really an analytics doctor, margins, you know, working on the FedEx, the free shipping. How yeah. do you do this? How do you? So he would always tell me a quote. He came up in marketing with me, but he used to work for WWE when it was called WWF. Yeah. We grew up in Connecticut, Stanford, Connecticut was the yeah. heck. We used to work out in high school with the Undertaker and shit. And like, <laughs> well, because he, he would work there. So we had keys to the gym. So we would go to the WWF and be working out. And all the wrestlers would be in there and stuff. That's the bad. building is still there. The building's still there. Oh, the building's still there. Yeah. Okay. It's, and, uh, it's right off of I-95. Yep, right, up, uh, oh, right off I-95. Absolutely. Yep. Still there. Yep. Are still you there. from Connecticut? No, I'm from New York, but we travel a lot. Yeah. So okay. when we on, when we on our way to Nordic, <laughs> yeah, get some crabs, we'll get some, some crabs, lots of tail. You know what I'm saying? Oh we gotta go through Connecticut. <laughs> got to Building is right there. <laughs> so um, when we yeah. when we uh, when we were were going there, and he would always tell me about Vince McMahon would always say, "People may be good at a lot of different things, but no one's gonna be better at wrestling than me." Right. He was mm -hmm. always like, "Doug, if we're gonna be the red carpet guys, you have to be a historian. We have to know everything. When the first red carpet was rolled out." in 458 BC. So the red carpet was 500 years older than the calendar we use. So the tradition mm. of rolling it out had, you know, so I had to get so into it and then understand, stop selling the product to everybody, but talk about the storytelling. Then it was like, do we get a publicist, even though we don't make any money because we need credibility in the market. So even though it wasn't working, we right. were still investing very small increments, yeah. investment in increments to find how to, it's like a song when you watch these videos yeah. of Pharrell and he'd be like, uh, or Tim would be like, you got to go, uh, 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 you know, like, yeah. but for them, that's the whole song, you know, that's why it works or doesn't work. And that's timeless verse, you know, a song you never remember. And that was really what we learned during that, those three years. And also a goal sacrifice yeah you know the fact that i worked at a luxury company you know most recently and just how far that was from when i was eating 99 cent pizza you know it's like 
life you know it's the parents donating me the money that like rebuilt our trust not that there was no trust but it's like as a parent i don't have children but you would feel proud that your son did a thing paid you back you know it's it, it was all the the growing mechanisms were because of that three years yeah. and that's the thing is that no one ever really wants to talk about it because they just want to talk about and, and shout, shout out to your parents too for being able to invest, right? Because I think that's something that's very something that we have to talk about in our community. Not everybody would have been able to go there. Like I'm gonna keep it so real with you, bro. We're in year, we're going into year two of doing the same thing with our business. So we have a digital agency outside the box digital. We're in year two. I got tired of corporate. I said, F that we're gonna create the table and we're gonna bet all on ourselves. So that's when we said bet on yourself. That's our tagline, literally, right? Mm -hmm. So, like we understand that completely and so shout out to your parents for being able to and i can't stress enough for our black community to have some sort of investment have some stuff away for a rainy day so you can make those risks you can't take the risk when you, you can't make a sound decision when your back is against the wall y'all mm -hmm. and that's and that's the realest thing ever but, but let, let me let me add to that you know let me add to that um i do believe that it's all situ situationally based right um, depending on who your parent is and what their upbringing is, they might not have had the education to be able absolutely to get the job to save even a little bit. Because we all know absolutely. a lot of parents come over and and you know we they get these jobs and once you get a job and you kind of get good at your job, they kind of got comfortable. You know what I'm saying? The big moms and the grand they got comfortable and they did their job well and they just were more concerned about keeping food on the table than investing. So like like Jared said, I agree. You know, shout out to your parents for having something to be able to even offer you. And number two, giving it to you. <laughs> that's real. It, oh, no, that's true. That is, it is, is, it is like a, <laughs> it's a three part play. First, you got to right. earn it. That's a fact. You know, that is the first right. part. And like you were saying, it's not always their fault. Right. Because right. systems and, you know, right. right. Well, the first thing is you have to be able in a position to earn it. Then right. you had to save it. Then you had to green light it. So you it is really it's a process, man. And, and the reason so I said that is, and Jared, you know this too, man. There's a lot of companies out there, and it, it's been all through the news, and I'm pretty sure you've heard stories about this, Doug. It happens a lot where people will work their entire lives. Man, look at all these Ponzi schemes, man. You know how many teachers and city workers? Now, mind you, we're talking state jobs, city jobs, where you think stability, keyword, stability mm -hmm. and you work 20 25 years you have your little nest egg only to see that it was stolen or ripped away from you after 20 25 years of work what the fuck do you do then you know what i mean so a lot of people have gone through these these situations where they did save right and they weren't managing their money who whatever bank or whatever controlling partner was managing their money mismanaged their money or just stole it you know and russell simmons lost a lot of his money in the OA yeah. credit crash. You know, yeah. a lot of these guys, Nick Cage, you know, you could watch an interview with um I was gonna say, I didn't know Russell. I was gonna say he had a rush card. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he had a motherfucking rush card. Oh, fuck <laughs> <laughs> you, Russ, we fuck with you, Uncle Russ. Oh, you know what you get for that. What the f is wrong with this guy, man? You kidding me or what? in the credit card and you selling rush cards come on <laughs> v. you know you know what the rush card was cut it out the rush card was the the high the hide your income from your baby mama card <laughs> put all put your check on this card and that way it don't go to the bank <laughs> you don't have to pay child 
Damn, Rush I, that I, was I, a nasty no. error. It's so crazy. <laughs> that. that main event, yo, that you guys. Funny from the chat before court. No, it, was, it was a nasty error, bro. Let's be fair. I didn't even know that. I mean, I know the Rush car, but I didn't know that it was like a yeah. So, know, so those, money oh, yeah. vibe, yeah. trap car. But it's it's not only that. It it also was created um because a lot of the population at that time, especially like in construction and things of that nature, were undocumented workers where they could not go get a bank account. So how do you now, how do you now um, go and cash your check and you understand and put it in some companies do direct deposit. Where are they depositing the money for if you can't get a, a bank account? You understand? So cards like the rush card would allow you to do direct deposit into the card or cash your money. And at the check cash in place itself, could put the money right on the card. Which was and genius. Then, it was like the cash app before no, no, cash app. No, it was. It was fine because then it's a, also a visa. So you can have access to like a credit card, ATM card and you could go spend it um wherever you wanted to go. It was it was a so fucking crazy. phenomenal. I didn't thing. even I didn't even phenomenal know all that time. was going yeah, on. Yeah, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And you know, you, you know what I asked you too, Doug? Like, man, what was that moment like you in Google headquarters? Have you talked to Sergey or Larry since? And have you told them this story? Because I wouldn't no, I, I don't think my revenue is long enough, but I have talked to that was um, real. <laughs> that was real. <laughs> that was real. <laughs> You know, guys, the funny thing about this story is that I actually went back and said, if I would have taken my 401k and life savings and put it in the Google stock right. and sat at home and stared at the window, I would have 10 million bucks. Right. Mm. So this is the other thing that we don't get taught is that what you do for a living and what earns you money could be two different things. Oh my God. We're taught what you do earns you money but the thing is if you put the money in the stock that's 10 million bucks i don't have 10 million dollars in the bank today but i could have been sitting there staring at the window yeah and gotten 10 million dollars and have more money than my whole family ever earned by doing one thing right so this is the other part finance fifth period y'all economics well we we talked about that we talked about the the impact of education versus ignorance you understand mm -hmm. you can't blame somebody for not knowing information people make decisions based on the information that they have in front of them at the moment that's it but devil's advocate right with all the information out there it's up to you to decipher that information and go find it is it not are we going to blame that old shit like back in the day with textbook you had to go to the library i maybe hell yeah but yeah but nowadays yeah. no, no but i'm, I'm gonna say i'm still gonna say yes and no because when you take something as advanced as the stock market, just just if you have you ever even looked at a fucking graph of the stock Absolutely. market, looked at those little just looking at the graph can fucking scare you. Like what the what the fuck? You know, see all them numbers and you understand. And a lot of people are not that savvy to learn something that technical. You understand? That's very technical to understand stocks and trading and that. You know, these guys on, online that make it seem like it's fucking easy and all that. Congratulations to you that you picked it up so quickly. But that is not something very easily absorbed. You understand? And it can be terrifying to people to give up something that they've worked so hard for to something that they know very little about. And, and matter of fact, quick segue. Yeah. If y'all do want to know more about stocks, we're going to have oh. the courses and the links up. Tay Sweat courses, our brother who's doing yeah. his thing, went from zero to eight figures. We're gonna have we're gonna have a code MTAT MTAT. We're gonna have yeah. the link in the comments for y'all. Y'all get a discount on the course, get that money. I got, it. I got it. I got it. it. What's good? Doug, you said it, and I just remembered it. 
You know what a lot of our parents and grandparents used to do because they didn't know the stock market? They bought those fucking bonds because the bonds made sense and they were simple, right? Buy the treasury bond or buy the bearer bond for $20 and 10 years it you know, advances to $100 or whatever it was. And they understood it. It's simple accumulation. It would double over time and then you can cash them in. That's why so many people, like Doug said, and parents had bonds. Because it made sense. It was so simple. Buy it for 50, hold it for five years, it turns into 100, that's your money. That's right. And that's how I got a lot of the money. And really, we put them Absolutely. in the Bible. Every day, everybody, my parents say, get Dougie Bonds, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you, you could do it that way, you know, yeah. and start early and it does accumulate. Yeah. Um. And, and really, to kind of just complete this story, when mm -hmm. I when I started looking at into my family story, part of the reason I was so pushed to write the book was because of my parents. And I wanted me wanted to write a book to thank them in my mm -hmm. way for what they did. And the first chapter of my book is called generational collateral. And mm -hmm. the first thing that I really understood about my family story was if it wasn't for Five generations ago, right? I would not have had parents that had the money. And that's what made me say this whole thing is connected, you know, because yeah. we don't look at it. If that's you hurt right. your arm, you say fix your arm, but you don't hurt your arm and say, well, now my leg's working harder and everything connects and come as watch LeBron James. If he ever gets hurt, he goes, now that my arms hurt, my whole body's hurt because now this moves more, this, you know, and that's how we have to look at it. But just to kind of tell you uh, quickly, the timeline of the book Invisible Generals, um, which came out in um, on Veterans Day weekend and in the whole book process, I could go through the whole we could do a whole nother podcast, how to get a book deal, how it happened. I just have to give the biggest shout out to Charlemagne the God, because this guy. OK, me, he bought the story, put me on his imprint on Simon and Schuster, brought me to the breakfast club, had me on the daily show when he hosted. This man was like, your story is incredible. And we, as in him and his ecosystem need to uncover these incredible stories that have never been told. But the work started with simple understanding of where my family came from. Okay, like I was telling you, the center of my family was the commander of the Tuskegee Airmen. Okay, what does that even mean? Right. What did he do? Okay, some guy in a movie. But what I ended up finding out is, okay, he. so there's five characters, but I'm going to go back in time. Ben Davis Jr., commander of the Tuskegee Airmen, first black general in the Air Force. His dad first black general in the army his dad lewis davis was mm -hmm. ulysses s grant's son's babysitter in the white house right wow he was born a servant and he was at the at uh the end of a battle in the civil war ulysses s grant what they would do is the union would go to the plantations and pick up the items that they could help the union army. Mm -hmm. But when he was finished with this war, uh, this particular battle, his son was like, dad, there's an incredible horse here 
that I think you would love because Ulysses S. Grant was a big equestrian and loved horses. Mm-hmm. He goes to the plantation with his best friend, who was a guy by the name of General Logan, who Logan Airport in Boston is named after, mm-hmm. Logan Circle and Square in Chicago and D.C. And Logan sees a young boy on the plantation, and when Ulysses S. Grant gets a horse – Logan says, I would like to take this boy off the plantation because the plantation was ravaged. Yeah. And he ends up taking this young boy and he raises him as a, like a servant child, but almost as a son. It's like a very weird, like wow. American, you know, <laughs> that time was just, you know, I, I don't really know. It was different. Anyway, they love the guy. And he becomes a great young man. And then he becomes Ulysses S. Grant's son's babysitter. And during Grant's second inauguration is Lewis Davis, Ulysses S. Grant, and Davis's son on his knee in the buggy going down to the White House. Wow. So what I'm saying is if wow. this guy doesn't have free access in and out of the White House, knows the presidents, knows the senators – he then has a son, and he gets a job in the Department of the Interior. Lewis Davis, after he's a babysitter, he gets a job in the Department of the Interior. Mm-hmm. He wants to have a home. General Logan co-signs the home so he could have it and it will be protected. Wow. That home is where he raises his son, Ben Davis Sr. He wants to fight in the military. He can't get into West Point, even though he gets the signatures from all the elected officials in D.C. William McKinley gets the notice and says, we don't want to get in the habits of allowing blacks into West Point. Because the military was segregated, blacks couldn't be in charge of whites. And whites, by policy, didn't have to salute blacks, even though they're both fighting in the same army. So Ben Sr. runs away, joins the Buffalo Soldiers becomes a great equestrian, and two years later, William McKinley calls him and says, I'm going to promote you to officer two years faster than if you would have gone to West Point, and he becomes the only black officer in the whole military, and right after that, McKinley dies in office. Wow. So now you have one black officer. Wow. His wife dies in childbirth. Wow. He's now a single dad with three kids. He has one son. He His son is acting out, and he goes, son, what do you want to do? And he goes, I would like to live big and have a big dream. So he puts his son in an airplane, $5 pay, which was one week's pay, and his son flies around for 15 minutes. And I stopped the story right here and go, my biggest learning of this whole journey was what would a father do for a son to live their dream? Message. Spend one year's pay for your son. I mean, one week's pay for your son to do something for 15 minutes. Probably not. Mm. I mean, that's huge. That's incredible. You know, before we get too far into it, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we want to give you guys an opportunity. I know you heard um, him mention the book, but we're going to go ahead and put the book up. This Absolutely. is what it looks like. All right. This is Invisible Generals by Doug Melville. Take a screenshot of it. 
um, or, or a picture, whatever you need to do, and make sure that you go and support this brother. It's available on audio books and, and Amazon and everywhere. You see Jared got it in his hand right there. You know what I'm saying? This is a must read. And if, yeah. you, if you want, let us know. We might could get Doug to sign a book for you, no problem. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. We, might, we might be able. We might be able to work out a more than a title discount. Ooh, we gotta do that. We gotta do I'm that. Do it, y'all. I need, I need to autograph the Doug when I do see you, brother. Like yeah, this I'm, book is real, man. This shit I'm is real, bro. Today, but yeah. I love it, man. So, so the thing about it is, and I I want to tell the story because it goes back to my dad helping me with the money. Yeah. Because this story, so you have this dad, single dad, three kids early 1900s one week pay to have his son fly in an airplane aviation was less than 20 years old so these are biplanes open cockpit right wow. and his son comes down and goes daddy i want to be a pilot everyone i know would have been like son let's get ice cream let's go get a new pair of shoes and he looked at his son and goes you want to be a pilot i'm going to get you to the military if you graduate in the top third of your class at west point they can never turn you down. Mm. Trains his son for six years, like Venus and Serena. Get up at four in the morning, sit up, eat up straight. Like he is a soldier. Right. And then realizes by the time it's time to get into West Point, there's only one black congressperson in the whole United States. And you have to live in their district one year to get the signature to get in. Wow. He sells the family house that was protected by General Logan. Oh, wow. And relocates the whole family, single dad, to Illinois so his son can live in the district for one year to get the signature of the only black congressman so he could get into West Point and he could be a pilot. Damn! Damn! Yo, this is incredible. That's crazy. And then his son fails the test. <laughs> wait, wait, get another damn. Damn. Where's it? I can't oh, get it. Damn. damn. I, you said it. I thought you had fingers on the track. My bad. He fails the test. And his dad goes, No problem. We take it again next year. And I say to everybody, hold on, Doug. That's the story right here. No one's dad is doing this. No one is doing that. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna be honest with you. Okay, the one week pay, I can I can understand that, right? The one week pay, the selling of the fucking protected house is crazy to to fucking transport your entire family to an unknown place now, and your son fails the test. I I can't hold you. This is for the culture. Me as a black father, if my son failed that test, I'd be like, if I raise up, gonna be trouble. I'd have been like, yeah, basketball gonna be created in 10 <laughs> years if you hold on. <laughs> if you hold on, <laughs> basketball man, gonna be shit. Listen, man, I'm telling you right now, man, I would, uh, I, it would have been chairs and everything thrown in that motherfucker. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? What's wrong with you? And this wait, is wait, what was I this a written test? It was a written test, or was it like, oh, you go up it there? Was, it was uh, it was the test to get into the United States Military Academy, which is West Point. So it's oh, the so same it's physical it's everything. Two names yeah. of the same yeah. Kind so of so I, just educate me because um, is is that not the ASVAB? You know, I, I, I actually don't know the name of it, and we're talking about 1931. So that, I don't. That's, know. that's what I'm asking because um, 
So the, the curriculum now, unless I'm, I'm mistaken or something, the college curriculum is different. The, the standard militarized test, the standard test for military entry is the ASVAB. You understand what I'm saying? And then you have to score within a certain percentile for each um, branch of the armed services and for each job that you want. You understand what I'm saying? So if you want like a high intelligence job or I guess a flight job, whatever, you have to score in a certain percentile of that uh, test for each different branch is different. Now for officers um, that go to these select schools, I do know the process is to get the, the letter from the congressman and things of that nature. But then it's just based on um, also college, your just your college um, SAT or ACT, whatever you took, and then whatever extracurricular. And this is where a lot of people miss it. That they look at your extracurricular activities that you did in high school. Also, were you captain of maybe a debate team or you know some type of of politics team or anything like that? Did you give of yourself of when, when you have free time? You know they look at stuff like that. So let you know, I'm pretty sure it changed, but I know that's the standard now. And that's been well, a standard for a while. Well, back then it was just yeah. the army because it was, right. the, you know, we're, we're before World War II. And a lot of right. those things actually happened because of World War II because it was so coordinated between countries and the allied forces and right. everything. But at that time, you had to get the signature of an officer and a congressperson. And there was only one black officer in the whole United States who was one his congress one congressman. And one black congressman. So yeah. if he didn't sell this house and move yeah. over – he wouldn't have been able to get the two signatures. So he fails the test and his dad's supportive. He goes to college for a year, takes the test again in 1932, gets in, arrives at West Point, and they don't realize he's black. And they pull him into the commandant's office and under the sign that says duty, honor, and country, they assign him a room at the end of the hall, which is described as a converted janitor's closet. No roommate, nothing. He goes to bed that night. And I and I tell people, just be him for a minute. 18 years old, goes to bed at night, scared, you know, in this place. He wakes up the next day, the only cadet with no roommate. And he hears the pitter-patter of the feet of everybody getting called to a meeting in the sinks. It was an all-hands meeting in an area called the sinks on campus. And he puts his uniform on and runs down and thinks nobody put the flyer under the door or knocked because he's in a converted room and they didn't know it was a room. So they run, he runs down and he gets there and the doors are locked and he listens in and it's a meeting of every single faculty and every single cadet. And they go, we accidentally let an N word in. Wow. You are to treat him as if he's invisible until he drops out. Wow. Message. Wow. I, 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 don't, I don't even know, like, do we give that a message? Like, what, what the fuck? Like, no, no. I was just like, he's still with the messages. He's still went through that shit. That's no, the no, I'm just saying. But well, the message is that that is actually the message. But this moment is so right. It's the moment. Right? Yeah, it's, it's crazy that you. Yeah. How can you? How can you put yeah. it into words? You, you, we couldn't fathom yeah. it. So he calls his. He runs back to his dorm and calls his dad, and he's like, "Dad, you know, tells him what happened." And his dad goes, "There's a few things, son. I trained you for this moment. Right. Everything we did." was for this yeah there's 13 million blacks rooting for you on the outside world that's number two and ben jr joked it's unfortunate none of them are here and 
And third thing was write the graduation date on the wall. And no matter what anybody does, you are to graduate in the top third of the class at West Point and do it for our people. And Ben Davis Jr. went to West Point 50 weeks a year Mm. for four Mm. years in a row with no human interaction outside of the line of duty. No. That's crazy. I can't with the memes. 50, 50, yeah, 50 years. The memes, though. It, is, it keeps the people going. <laughs> provocative. Not, not that is insane. But, but I tell you, because yeah. this is one 19-year-old guy. Yeah. Shout out to him, man. He has to... The, they segregate the campus. He yeah. can't go into the library. He can't have a study partner. But he would say the most... Um, humbling part of the whole thing was that at West Point, you have to ask for permission to sit, to eat. Do I have permission to sit? Yes. And they let you at the table because no one wanted him there. He would ask for the entire time you had to eat and go to every table and never be allowed to sit and then eat in two seconds standing up before he dropped his food three times a day for four years. Mm. He took a segregated game uh, bus to the Army-Navy game. He failed boxing and CPR because no one else would show up when he was in the room, and those were partner activities. And he did all of this. And when it was one month to graduation, they pull him in the commandant's office And he goes, I'm in the top third of the class. I would like to be a pilot. And they said, we will not allow blacks to fly. And he goes, but I passed all the tests. And they go, listen, we will pay for you to drop out today. Wow. And we will pay for you to go to law school. And we will send you back to Illinois and set up a law school practice and pay for your law school in exchange for an honorable discharge and you drop out because you're never going to live your dream because blacks will never be able to fly. She. And Ben Davis leaves the room and go, I will not drop out. And FYI, if you would not have mandatorily failed me in partner classes, I would have graduated. Number no one. Number one. So- Ooh, talk about strength. See, but that's the shit that that's so one. After hearing that, brother, one, I can understand why you were so pissed off. And and for a brother, know the black man went through all of those things, and for them to create a fictional character, like why would you want to create a fictional character when this brother was doing and went through hell to get to where he are? It's the best story. I, I just yeah. You don't yeah, even have to hold on, hold on, hold on, Jared. You know the answer to that. Why make a why make a fictional Cuban good and fucking junior? Hold on, on, Jared. It's it you know, of course, but it's stupid. It's it's ridiculous. It's the same reason that they're trying to outlaw black American studies and trying to take out our heritage in Florida right now. You already know the answer to that. You know the answer to that. You know the answer. They're doing it because they want to water down 
the black and brown history. That's the answer, bro. That's Absolutely. the that, that, that's the answer. They want to water down our history so that it's so diluted that we start to forget about it and we start to adopt their culture and their history as ours. That's nothing different than what any oppressor does when they conquer or take over a land. They strip you of your religion. They strip you of your own native language and they make you learn their stuff. Convert or die. That's so, that's so, the answer, bro. So, 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 Doug, Matthew Knows came on. Dr. Knows came on. Shout out to him. He came on the show and said something. He said, if you're not careful... History will become history. That's a fact. And 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 when soon as I soon as I heard about the story, did the research on the book, started reading, bro. It reminded me of that sentence. So, with that being said, and knowing what happened with the family, right? How do we preserve our history? And like, how? And also, part two. How did you find out some some of those intricate details of the story? Like, I would love to know more about the research mm -hmm. process. Well, what what I want to do? Let me just let me finish the beginning part of the story, and and I'll jump to present day. Okay. So he graduates. And in the graduation photo, he's standing with his dad. And in that photo, they are the invisible generals. They're not generals yet, but they're the only two black officers in the entire military out of 335,000 men. There are two black officers. Crazy. So what does the government do? Crazy. What does the government do? It is illegal at that time for by policy for blacks to be in charge of whites. So the first thing they do is they put one white soldier in every black group of soldiers. Therefore, Ben Jr. and Sr. cannot command them. Wow. The next thing that they do is that they assign them ROTC duty, which is go to black colleges because they can and, and go around and teach military science and recruit and do whatever you got to do. Right. But the only blacks you could be in charge of are those that are going to black colleges. So Ben and his dad get in a Jeep for four years, 1936 to 1940. And they go to all the black colleges and tell them, keep your head high. You are a man. You are strong. We are examples of a father and a son. We did it. You could do it. And they built up this like aura with these black men. 1940 comes around. Almost all blacks were voting Republican because wow. Abraham Lincoln yeah. created the Republican Party yeah. and emancipated yeah. those that were enslaved. And FDR wanted to win reelection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he hires the highest rank black and appoints him to a new position called head of Negro policy. Mm. And he hires or appoints Ben Davis senior and Ben Davis senior says, he goes, how do I get the votes? And Ben senior says, the only way you're going to get the black vote is that you have to do two things. The army, if it was a company would be the largest company in the United States at that time. So you have to have equal pay for equal work, black or white. And it was the first institution in America to do that. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you have to allow blacks to have premium opportunities in the military, not just what they called at the time were called pick and shovel jobs, build railroads and things like that. Mm -hmm. And he goes, that begins with allowing blacks to fly airplanes. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, who would lead it? And he said, my son. Woo! Message. Be able to do that. Crazy. 
the next minute, Ben Davis Jr., first of all, he doesn't really want to do it. Eleanor Roosevelt goes down there. There's a story about her getting in a plane with a black pilot to show that it was safe, and she went against her husband. You know, So there's a little bit going on in the middle there. Gotcha. But Ben Jr. goes down to Tuskegee, Alabama with four other men, and they start something called the Tuskegee Experiment which was an experiment to see if blacks cognitively could fly airplanes. It was really not for real. It was just, we're going to test this shit out and see if it works. And they all fly and pass the test. And Ben, because he graduated West Point, becomes commander of the other four. So then they say, well, that's nice. But if we want to build a real group of pilots, you got to have a whole 15,000 men and a thousand pilots. And the graduation rate for colleges was under 10%. The literacy rate for blacks was under 10%. So they go, if you could get everybody to come down here, then we'll turn the experiment into a real thing. And because Ben and his dad had gone to all the black colleges, they put out the notice and 15 thousand men and women of color were in the tuskegee airmen it was 1,000 pilots 14,000 ground crew and support and this is the biggest craziest part of the whole story never commanded anybody never sent to battle never anything and ben davis in his 20s trains every single person the mechanic, the bombardier, the cook, the chef, the guy building the barracks, the pilots on all their jobs because the military was 100% segregated. If you had a part for your airplane that was working on a white airplane, they wouldn't let it go on your airplane. If you were a Mm. medic in a white hospital, you weren't allowed to be a medic in a black hospital. 100% segregated. And this man is in his 20s, and he pulls together 15,000 people. Then they don't know what to do with these guys. So they have them fly around year after year, training, 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 same training. And then they run out of pilots. And they go, we got to use the black pilots. They fly them to North Africa. They then fly them to Ramatelli, Italy. And they build a base for them, 100% segregated. And they realize two things. The planes are so pieced together because nothing could have been on a white pilot's airplane that they actually don't even have the equipment to functionally fly. So they have to give them the brand new planes, which are the P-51 Mustang, which was the fastest propeller plane ever made before today. Then they realize, then they realize the last part of this was that Ben realizes the maps are segregated. The, Wait, what? The maps are segregated. How the fuck you segregate a map? So no, he's getting maps of Europe and his airfield that he's commander of isn't on any of the maps, and they tell him that the maps are segregated. <laughs> so he tells all the men, I can't, bro. I can't. He tells all the men right before 4th of July weekend, we are going to get bombed by our own guys. 
if we do not signal to them that we are Americans and he goes, paint all the tails red. Right. So they know that we're part of the allied forces and that we're American. And that is where the red right. tails. Are. I ain't going to front just hearing this whole story. Uh, black, and I'm black, and I'm, <laughs> I'm black. It should just make you proud. Yo. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> one time. No, I see. Oh man. Again, like, Imagine this. Imagine you grew up in school and actually learned this. Learned school, that. Learned. Right? When the movie, if they was to make a movie after you learned the story, after you've done the research, after you've done the, the essays and all this shit, and you really immersed yourself growing up learning this type of thing, when the movie came out, it would have fucking been a, a, a blockbuster is not even the word. It would have broke so many fucking records because just the story itself is amazing. So visually, you can recreate what you're saying Audibly would be, fan, you know, phenomenal. Like people would you go, yeah. it would go crazy. But, but they, they've had movies similar to that. Huh? They've had like the Men of Honor with Cuba Gooding no. was a good one. Yeah, but this story is, that story is ridiculous. No, but, but listen, but what I'm Men saying, Men of Honor is, is a good movie. Men of Honor is a good movie. But they watered them down, like you said, right? Think yeah. about what you just said. They replace an actor here, replace an actor there, change a little bit of the name. And if you don't know the full story, then you don't know that that's not the way it goes. Uh, so imagine if you never heard the story and you've only seen the movie and you think, like like Doug said, you believe that most movies are faction, uh, fic, um, not fa um, fact-based, fact not fiction. You're going to believe that's the real story. Absolutely. But is it is it a monetary thing or a business decision for them to create the fictional character? Well, what I ended up learning through this process, and I think, you know, so for, to just say this, uh -huh. this is why I was so passionate right. about this whole thing. Uh -huh. And what happened was when, um, I, after I saw the movie Red Tails and the names were changed, see, I thought this was way better than Red I mean, you don't even have to make up the story. No, this to me is like... Yeah, I get the fire pilot thing, but this how it came. Yeah. If your granddaddy wasn't a servant and a babysitter for Ulysses S. Grant, you would not be there would not be Tuskegee Airmen. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. If William McKinley died in office six weeks earlier, he wouldn't have promoted Ben Sr. to like this is why I'm saying about the generational collateral going back to the money that my parents gave me that that Ben left my dad that my dad loaned to me mm. to sell the car, you know, so that's where they got the money. Uh, oh, I don't even man. know. I don't even know what to say to that. Uh, man. I don't have any questions, sir. I, <laughs> I can't follow up with a question. That's <laughs> no, not a question. I just, you no. know, this is one of those real. reaction videos, you know, reaction moments where you're like the, the amount of dedication um, and perseverance that each one of them had to go through to understand. Obviously, they can't see into the future, but they knew in that moment that what they are doing is special, and they had to see it through. Just, mm -hmm. just that. Period. If, if, if our culture, if more people in our culture even had a quarter of that kind of uh, dedication and persistence and consistency, we would be in it. We would, man, listen. You know what it is. We we man, listen. But 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 it goes back to what I said earlier, right? You was like, bro, there's what? no excuse today. Look at the shit they had to endure then. Oh. There is no excuse today. I don't give a fuck excuse. what excuse you can I have. Tell you the excuse. There I, is none. We have to stop okay. making excuses for people. It, it's stop. not an excuse. It, what it is is it's a psychological. It's a psychological psychological disorder. 
when 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 we when our backs were against the wall and we had to fight, scrape, scream, and scratch for everything, then we developed the what? The hustle, the want. You know what they say, right? right. You want everything that you can't have, right? But guess what you just said? Now that everything is given to us, everything is out there and it's so accessible, that want dies out. That drive dies out. Like, I, get, I, get, no, I get what you're saying, but it's not given to us. To do shit, special shit, that, things like that, Something like that changed the world, it changed the industry, changed the war, right? You go back to the DEI stuff that you were saying about the growth factor, right? Would we have won World War II or some of these wars afterward if it wasn't black soldiers there and all those things? It's the same thing, business, right? It's all that. So the fact that we had to do that and people are not willing to go on Google, research some things, figure out some industries, teach themselves. You can figure out how to fucking build a bomb on YouTube. You shitting me? Like, there's no excuse for our people, bro. But we'll be on Shade Room. We'll be on World Star. We'll be on Media Takeout. Have you have you ever heard this saying? And I I, I might be a little rusty on it, but some they say like the grandfather um, works so that the son the 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 grandson can go to school, right? So the grandfather, then his son can yeah. go to school. He the he he goes to school and get a job so that his son can become like the entrepreneur, right? So it's like a three generation build up to that 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 fourth person breaks the mold. Now. Now, once that fourth person has broken the mold and now his children now, technically generational wealth building has started, don't have to walk 20 miles to school or pamper it all the way. Now it breaks back down. It goes, he's the millionaire. His son will have a couple money. But by the time it gets to his grandson, the, 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 the money's gone. You understand what I'm saying? Because they've squandered it away because what it took to build it up, those next three generations lost that. That's a big study that they, that they talk about yeah. right now. That is a big psychological study that they talk about. Why do you think so many um, millionaires and billionaires, and I'll be doing a lot of research on this, do not leave all their money to their children? They'll leave them a little bit, and they give the rest of the money away, or they do some other shit. You know what they say? He got to work for it. I'll give him a million, or I'll give him two million, and he got to fucking work for the rest of it, because I'm not going to... Why do you think they do that? It would be so easy to make them trust fund kids, but they don't, because they understand that if a person doesn't work for something... Not to say they won't respect it, but most people will not respect it and, and treasure it the way somebody that is fucking fought, scratched, and clawed for it. Well, that's not everybody, too. The top billionaires, bro. We're talking about what? The Waltons? 40 they're billion. Not, Julia Walton. Given. Look, look at me. She's nowhere near the top billionaire. That's the one that you Women. 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 Like I said, like I said, she's nowhere near the top. That's what you see on Forbes. The people with the real money never make Forbes. The people with no, the real money never make for No, it. but you're saying that they don't give it. They're not fucking giving them a million and shit like that. They're Ooh. not doing that. The you, man's not doing that. The man's I'm, not I'm, giving you, them just a million dollars and shit. Like so you said they're not doing it, right? So you got the, the guy majority. That, the majority is not doing you got, that. You got the guy. Um, well, what's his fucking name? Um, uh, from the the famous fashion brand guy, uh, not Giuseppe. I forget his Mary? name. Mary. Uh, no, not a Mary. I'm talking real money. The uh. the, the, the fucking guy is about to adopt his fucking gardener and give his gardener all the money. He's about to adopt his fucking gardener and give, not his family, I'm pretty sure he has a lot of family, he's I'm about sure. to adopt his fucking gardener, make him legal kin so that he can give him all the money. Explain that. Give them all. Yeah. Bro, well, that is if, if, if you guys think, if you ever read the story of, it's Masa Musa, what was the guy's name? Yeah. Masa Musa. Mansa Musa, but if you actually read the full story of him, they talk about how he built up all this wealth, and uh, if it's a fascinating story, but it showed up on a map. Someone drew 
him and his camels and the wealth on a map in Europe. And no one believed it was true. They thought it was like a fictional thing that someone had all this wealth. So the Europeans built up all these boats and stacked them with weapons and everything to go down there to get the wealth. But it took like 80 years. Mm. The guy's son had died. Mansa Musa's kids had died. And the only people alive were the grandkids and their kids. And they have become so lazy with it that when all the ships from Europe came with the guns, they let them all take it. They didn't even fight them. And then, and then the Europeans called back for more ships. And then they said, these people are so dumb. They just let us walk all over them and take all their shit. So let's learn from them and let's take them. And that was actually the seed that laid the colonial slave trade that changed the entire planet oh, Earth. Absolutely. The grandkids and, and, and who is Mansa Musa? And who is Mansa Musa right now, whether they admit it or not, if you read the actual history books, the real history books, what is he listed as? He's listed as the wealthiest person to ever, ever walk this Earth. Ever. It would be trillions today. Trillions. Trillions. Absolutely. absolutely. So, Waltons, the the the, the march. I, I get that. That's matter. colonial. I'm talking today. The white man is creating generational wealth and giving them businesses to their kin. Is it not why we are behind? That's what I was talking to. I get that. So what you're referring to is correct, but it's anecdotal today because they're still giving wealth. The WalMarts and all that. Name a black one. That's the point. I'm not. What I'm saying. I'm not saying. What I'm saying is. I'm not saying. There's a big difference between. <clears throat> giving somebody an opportunity and setting them up to be successful and just handing them a bunch of money. Let's no, absolutely. For, uh, I, I guess let's just say Donald Trump. Use Donald Trump as an example. He's like billionaire, right? But his kids were raised, business school, this, that, that, go out on your own, be successful business. You understand? He gave them money, obviously, but set them up so that they learned how to make their own money, right? And then brought them back into the fold and say, okay, now let's make money together, right? Because the real wealth, the real power is not giving money away to somebody. Like, push your fish. Teach them how to fish. Teach teach fish. They'll learn you sell fishing poles. So uh, once he taught them how to fish, guess what? I don't need to come running to daddy for a bunch of millions of billions because I make my own money now. Now I'm a, my own powerhouse. The other kids are powerhouses. Now we can all come together as a collective unit and explode this thing. Uh, all I'm saying is no, it's normally the family business that they get, right? You're going to put your phone, look at the genie buses and stuff like that. You groom your child to take the generational wealth a step further. That's it. That's but what why I think there's a lot of families, so I think both of you are actually right. It yeah. depends. But, Some don't want to give it to their kids because they feel like their kids will waste it. Some are putting exactly. it in a revocable trust. Some aren't giving exactly. it to them without incentives without degrees. But and then exactly. some are just saying life, Doug. Here's the thing about life. Take it all. Life, life is like art and music, right? It transitions race and it transitions um economics, right? What I'm saying, like the thing like art and music, it transitions race, it transitions color, right? It transitions because it's just something that everybody listens to. The what I'm talking about is overall understanding of where life is iPhones are not out just for black people, right? The internet is not out for black people. It's out for almost everybody unless you're in a country that outlaws it. Yes or no? Mm -hmm. That means that the same exact problems that we might be seeing in our community, 
other communities are experiencing the same exact issue because everybody's inputting um intaking the information everybody's on social media everybody's on in the same program we're not talking about the one percent like you said if you want to talk majority let's talk majority right so if our problems are here we have to assume that everybody's having the same type of problem so if everybody's having the same type of problem which means that people are getting more lazy because guess what technology is advancing and a lot of the things that we had to do manually that made us big and strong and all that we don't have to do no more because technology is taking over all of these things as a as a people in general the human race we're getting soft well i just want to say there was a um you know something i was reading and watching the other day and 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 if there's one takeaway from it, it it's this we are now today not anecdotally today the number one thing people are saying is how do we invest in ai how do we make the robots smarter how do we program them how do we make algorithms how do we give them empathy how do we give them hope we are spending if you look at the report i want to say it was like 25 billion invested in these you're going, that was AI, but then when it's invested in the us. people to us exactly i read that report i read that report. there's no money in the school system single parent that. system snap rewards so what we're doing is what we're doing is we're taking the tricky thing is if you're a government technically you're not supposed to be for profit you're supposed to be for the people but what's actually happening is that we've turned government into almost a form of capitalistic dominance in a way where we're almost either by intention or de facto operating on the 80-20 rule where we're investing all the resources into the top 20% of the country. And then the rest of the 80% of the country, we're just like, hey, man, if you find it, you know, <laughs> you did well. Life's not fair shit happens wrong place wrong time better luck next time teachable moment like there's like a whole cornucopia of default answers like your memes but for the 20 percent of people you're like hey man listen don't worry about taxes you could defer them oh you want to expense that right off the credit and then you have the other half so it's like we're living in this odd duality where we're both everyone's right and wrong now at the same time you know there was a study a years ago when i worked for um magic johnson and it was mm -hmm. about sports was at a it wasn't like in 0809 sports was big but it wasn't like now yeah the reason sports was um positioned to grow is it was becoming the only thing you could watch where there was an actual winner and a loser mm. because we've muddied everything so much that everyone's a winner and everyone's a loser and everyone's winning it, but sports winning, losing, winning, losing. And then when you legalize gambling, so, the rates went up to 8 billion a team because people want to watch winning and losing. Yep. But we make it. So it's like, you kind of won, but you didn't lose, but you know, there's silver lining and people are tired of it. And we've saturated most of the public, the 80% with the, it doesn't matter. Life is short. It'll be all good. And then the 20% is like, you're a loser, win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. And like you're saying, Jarrett, 
because I stick on your I mean, if I'm not picking a side, but Jared, I'm more on your side that if you're going to take out your phone to post a video and a photo, you should be taken out to learn about how to trade a stock. It's the same device. It's the same button. It's the same Google. It's the same tutorial. Guys, what is the problem? Message. You should go in the pocket. It's yeah. the same device on the same time and the same. You don't got to call no broker. You don't got to do anything. But then what the other side of the argument is, but everyone's been so saturated with mashed potatoes and vanilla eyes information that they don't have the motivation to even reach in the pocket to figure out how to make the stock. And that's why. I feel like we're stuck in a loop. And so, matter of fact, as you say that, while you got your phone, we got to pay some bills. We'll be right back. <laughs> Put your QR code out while you got your phones in your hand. If you're going to pull it out, make sure you get your more than the title app. Get your mugs, get your hats in five, four, three, <laughs> two, and we back. And disagreements just, are good for content. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> let, me, let, me just, let me just throw this at you, Doug. Let me just throw this at you. Mm -hmm. if, if everything was for everybody, if if going by your rule, right? If everybody that has the same resources are capable of doing the same exact thing, then mm -hmm. I, it's fair to say that everything could be for everybody, right? Because we have we all have the same twenty four hours in a day, and technically people are created equal, right? This is right. Mm -hmm. If that was the case, then the the hierarchy of any type of job would evaporate overnight. Okay, there would there would be no separation between a doctor and nurse and this and this and that. There is no separation because if we all could be doctors, then there is no hundred, $200,000, $300,000 for the specialist because everybody's a specialist. It would be no $300,000 lawyer jobs because everybody could be a lawyer. It would be no $400,000 commissions on advertising jobs. Everybody's an advertiser. If, if, if everybody could do everything, then the world would kind of evaporate out because then you would have no class system. You you would have no separation of winners and losers because everybody would be a winner. But you but that's not possible. But but I want to just double down on this because the tricky thing about what you're saying is we've given everyone all the information. That's that was my that's why I'm well, so back in the day, you know, when my, my dad's a judge and he goes, he had in his chambers his um his uh tuition statement. Mm -hmm. It was $600. He went to Howard Law School. He goes, going to school was $600 a year. And I go, $600? He goes, Doug, we couldn't get into the library to read the books unless we paid the money because the library has the books. He goes, now college is 50, 60, 70,000, and all the books are on the internet. I don't understand what you pay. You know, the, the that, that's the weird thing. But if everybody was doing everything, they wouldn't make it so accessible. But it's like we can let everybody eat cake because no one's even going to try to take a bite. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, a weird, you know, there's a, one more thing about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know if you know that story. When he moved to America, there was only 50 gyms in the whole United States of America. Okay. Fair. So when he moved to venice beach to do muscle beach and, and work out at that gym it was 50 gyms in america the year that we had fifty thousand gyms of america was the year that america became the most obese country in the world now this is what i'm saying like some of these things are like um, <laughs> once, once, but look at what again 
look at what you just iterated because I know we're coming up on time, but again, exclusive, uh, exclusive, exclusivity, the ability not to be able to do something you you want to do it so bad that you make it a point to go do it. Accessibility ends up making you lose the drive to go ahead and do it because you feel like it's right there. I don't have to work hard enough for it. it I think it's a conversation that we can go back and forth. I, I let me tell you, Doug. I truly, truly enjoy. I know we're coming up on time. I truly, mm -hmm. truly enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. I want to tell you, I've learned so much. And I want to let you know, you you weren't you didn't get a chance to see it, but we also are live on Instagram. We had we had so many comments on Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. people that were commenting on what you were saying, saying like, yo, they learned so much from you today. Thank you for coming on the show. You know what I mean? You were dropping gems. So I want to let you know across the platforms, you're getting a lot of feedback and, already in real time. And shout out to LinkedIn too. For some reason, their comments wasn't going on the live stream. So sorry about that. I don't know. It might've been a stream yard thing, y'all. Usually our comments be coming on, but, uh, Instagram, if you want your comments on the show, you have to go to YouTube, LinkedIn, or some other platforms. Instagram isn't integrated with that yet. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, good. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't you know why? because Insta because we use StreamYard and Instagram actually just unlocked the feature to go live. So we've only been going live on Instagram for let's just call it a month. So they're still working out the bugs. Um, and technically, Instagram doesn't allow you to go live for more than an hour. So a lot of the times, like this was a two-hour show, it might cut off after an hour. Mm -hmm. So we don't know. But let the people know where they can find you, Doug. Because I'm pretty sure it's going to yep. be a lot. You can log on at Doug Melville, you know, the website, the Instagram, the LinkedIn. Pick up the book, Black History Month. We've already sold 3,500 copies, uh, different companies around the country. I'm starting tomorrow doing talks. It's why I'm in L.A. You know, it's Grammy week, too. But, you know, I appreciate everything, guys. And uh, this was – I don't even do conversations like this because – I'm like in and out guy, like 15 minutes, 30 minutes. You know, I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. I'm 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 riding and dying on these. Now come on. <laughs> it wasn't pause, but it was the tone. It was the, it was the tone. I understand so. where you're coming from. <laughs> you had to get that with <laughs> We didn't we didn't give you one all show. We had <laughs> <to>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I try to stay hot. Hey yo, hey yo. <laughs> you guys are on top of shit. I gotta stay conscious of it, but um, but you know, I I did like talking to you guys. I don't I don't really do these long format ones, but you know, it's good to meet you and you know vibe with you, and we just rolled right into it, and I appreciated it, and uh, you know, we'll see you soon. I'll come. I may have some news coming up, so I'll come back with you guys, and we'll. Do, do Share it here on more than a title. That's do me it. a favor, Doug. Put put your number in the private chat. Um, what we like to do is create a group chat between uh us and the guests, uh, because we don't believe in just having guests come on the show and then leaving. We believe in fostering the relationship. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm gonna do a group chat with just me, you, and Jared. That right. way we can keep in contact. Um, and also we want to let you know that anybody that you've seen on the show, because we like to create community, right? We like to create a pipeline. Anybody that you've seen on the show that you might feel like you're interested in meeting or something like that, please reach out to us because we believe in connecting like-minded individuals uh, and we will definitely make the introduction. Love it. Man, I this is, this you is for us. So this is, uh, yeah. no, we appreciate you, brother. Like I said, I'm going to be in New York. Rock out. Yeah, yo, you got your number in there too, bro? Yeah, I'm 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 a text yeah, right now in the group chat. Us. And uh, I appreciate y'all. Let me slide out of here and oh, uh, I'll see you soon. Okay. You know, you know, 
I was going to talk to you soon. More than a title, baby. We're we going we to let y'all know before we go, y'all. Everybody's long. <laughs> well, I got to get you because of the. I got to get you one of those. Where's the. Hey, yo. Why you can't like that? I got it, but I got it. Yeah. bro. Yeah, but y'all appreciate everybody for the tune in and for the check in, man. That was a fire episode, man. Yeah. And this is why it's important to tell our stories and document our shit. Did y'all hear what this dude said? Like the, the story, the story is incredible, man. So make sure y'all go pick up Red Tails tomorrow. If y'all want to be on the show, it's no, 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 an no, no, appreciation. No, 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 Red Tails, Invisible Generals. Invisible Generals, the book. Red Tails was the movie. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they might they may have known it from that. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But like, yeah, it's the Tuskegee Airmen, the experiment, man. Make sure y'all, y'all cop the book tomorrow. Fan appreciation. You want to pull up, you want to be on the show, you want to get you one of these, you know what I mean? You want to get you one of the message. You want message. You got to pull up, man. You say something. Oh. The place you can get it. You already know, y'all. But much love to the rest of y'all. Let me ask you a question. Are we putting out the, um, did we, did we put out the link for them? So that they can come and get on the show, or we're gonna put it out in the morning. We're gonna, we gonna put it, we're gonna put it out when it when it comes out. We put we put out to hey, everybody get it, then we fuck around and have like a hundred, two hundred people. You know what I'm trying to say? Like what I, what, I, what I want us to do is I want us to um put out the link as soon as possible and then put out a disclaimer to let them know that when they come on, they're gonna have a certain time limit. That way we can allow, you know what I mean? I want to put out something. We listen, we're gonna figure it out, guys. We're gonna put out something to let you know what the clink on what to click on to get into the show, to be a guest, and how much time you're going to have because we want to open up the platform so that we can have as many guests on the show as possible because I think last time we had like 200 people log in, right, Jairus? It was crazy, right? Crazy. We had like five, six, seven on the screen at a time, but it was over 200 people that wanted to log in. So we appreciate you guys for wanting to get on the show, and we want to make it as easy and accessible to you as possible. That's it. And with that said, y'all, you already know, man. Tomorrow, fan appreciation. Let's bug out. We'll see y'all tomorrow. More than a title, baby. Seeing it all, heard it all. Oh, what you know about me? I've done it all, just want it all. Oh, what you know about me?